Thanks for listening to the Faith Church Podcast. We are one church at five locations, streaming online every Sunday morning at live.faithishere.org. We hope that you're challenged and encouraged by today's message. And if you'd like to watch or listen to previous messages, or if you'd like to learn more about who we are as a church and how you can stay connected, head over to faithishere.org. We have been, you know, we, we quote God a lot. I think everything we do, we say, well, God said this, God said that. And we quote him a lot. And often we are saying things that he never said. And then when we do find something that seems close to it in the word of God, we will take it out of context and make it say what we want it to say. And so usually we just open our mouth, stick our foot in our mouth, and we blame God for all the things we say and do. And we looked at a couple examples. Let me give you the first one we looked at was God wants me happy. And so there's this belief out there that somehow, if you're a Christian, God always wants you to be happy. Well, you know, I will tell you, the Christian life is joyful, it's exciting, it's awesome. I wouldn't trade serving Jesus for anything in the world, but I wanna tell you, God is more concerned about his purpose for your life and doing something inside of you than he is your momentary happiness. He's always more important than that which is eternal. And if you're not careful, you can latch on to a phrase like, God wants me happy, and then you can say, you know what, I can do what I want to do because that makes me feel happy, and because God wants me happy, I must be in line with God's will, and you can be totally out of the will and plan of God. And God will allow trials and tests to come your way to do something on the inside of you to always work out his greater purpose. I don't like trials. I don't like tests. And I fuss a little bit when I'm in the middle of them. But I will tell you, God wants to do something inside of us during those times. And so we kind of toss that phrase out. And then last week, we talked about this phrase, God will not give you more than you can handle. How many have heard that one before? How many have said that one before? Isn't that a great, oh, doesn't that sound so sweet? And so somebody's at a funeral or someone's really hurting or someone's sick or they've just lost their job and you kind of pat them on the back and their world is literally falling apart and you say, listen, I just want to tell you something. God won't give you more than you can handle. And you want to look at them in the eye and say, wait a minute, you mean there's more than this? There could be something worse than this in my life? There's a couple wrong there are problems with that kind of thinking. First of all, it's assuming that everything bad that happens to you, God gave it to you, right? God won't give me more. So you're, you're telling this person, in effect, God gave you what you're going through right now. He just won't give you more. And we talked about last week, most of the problems we face in life, we bring on ourselves, or as a result of sin in the world or sinful things people do to us. But whatever the case may be, most of what we experience is self-inflicted. And then, then the, the, the problem with that, that, that line of thinking, God won't give me more than I can handle, it, it's, uh, he does. I mean, it happens. More than we can handle happens all the time. And it happened to the apostle Paul, but Paul learned the secret. He said three times, I said, take away the thorn in the flesh, but God would not do it. He had more than he could possibly handle, but he learned a very powerful lesson. When I am weak, when I can't handle it in myself, then Jesus said, I am strong. So even though there are times there is more on us than we can seem to bear or handle, it's then we lean into God and we trust in his strength. And he says in that same passage, my grace is sufficient for you. Yes, there'll be a lot of times you'll experience more than you can handle, but aren't you glad you serve a great big God who can take you through and be with you through any situation, any trial, any test in your life. 
And so we kind of debunked that myth last week as well. Now, here's the one we're going to talk about this week. Are you ready? You shouldn't judge others. God didn't say that. And it sounds good, but it's really not in the word of God. And there's a verse that sounds very similar to that. In fact, we'll read it to you. And if we stop after the first verse, you'll think this is exactly what it means. But when we hear all five verses, I think you'll have a different take on it. Let's stand together. Look at Matthew chapter 7. Matthew 7 and verse number 1. Do not judge. So if you stop right there, there you go. God said it. Sermon on the Mount. Don't judge. Okay, I got it right there. But let's keep reading or you too will be judged. So he's telling us what happens when you come across with harsh judgment. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is all the time there is a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the plank out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Let's pray. Father, we love you so much. We thank you, God, for your sweet presence here today. I just pray, God, that as we open up the word, you'll open up our hearts. May we hear what the Holy Spirit has to say to the church this morning. May you help me, God. I need your help. And we'll love you and praise you all our days. And we thank you for your word. Anoint it, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Turn to someone, tell them they look awesome, and then you may be seated. I won't ask you by way of show of hands how many have seen Judge Judy, but uh, she's there. She's on TV, and uh, she's usually during the daytime, so I have probably have maybe just tuned in once or twice in my entire life. But Judge Judy is there and she's got her robe on, her black robe, and she sits behind the judge's thing and, and, and uh, they, they call the plaintiff in and the plaintiff comes in and he's got one leg because his other leg was chewed off by a pit bull. And uh, he, he, you know, he's, he's, got, he's really looking bad. He looks pale. He's got crutches. He's saying, poor me. I've just got my leg bitten off and I am suing the defendant. And the defendant gets up and she takes the stand and she says, wait a minute. My pit bull chewed off his leg because he was trespassing in my yard. And then all of a sudden it stops and it says, you be the judge. Goes to commercial and we are left hanging who is going to win this case, this mighty, powerful case that is out there? And so, so the, what happens is, though, we take this mindset and philosophy in the church and we think, okay, church, you be the judge. And so the question is, when do I judge? When do I not judge? How do I do it? When do I do it? What does that look like according to the word of God? Now, here's another way this phrase is used. This is what you'll most commonly hear in the world today. It's a misinterpretation because every time the church begins to speak out for righteousness, we speak out against sin, we speak out against sexual immorality of any kind. We speak out of, of the social sins in our generation and the day in which we live. People will throw this verse up at our face and say, you can't judge me right? I mean, we, we, we talk about right and wrong and sin and righteousness and all that. And so what we hear is you can't 
judge me. And, the, uh, and they, the only verse they know in the entire word of God is do not judge. And so they say that and they throw it out. And if we begin to speak out for righteousness, we are called of using hateful speech or speech hates, hate speech or intolerant or we're judgmental. And so the church has this reputation today in our society of being a judgmental church. And you hear about it and you see about it and you read it and they're trying to pass laws against hate speech, against churches. They can't stand up and preach against sin anymore because the government will come in and shut you down and you can't talk about that from your pulpits. And they're trying to silence the voice of the preachers who will speak out for righteousness so we don't talk about certain things in the church. They call it hate speech and they use this verse, do not judge. The church has no right then in their minds to distinguish right for wrong or good from bad. And they say we're to accept anything that comes down the pike uncritically without blinking an eye or raising a question. I will tell you, this is contrary to the word of God. God's word says in 1 Thessalonians 5, 21, test all forms of teaching to determine what is good. In other words, God tells us, test the teaching, test what is right, test what is wrong. 1 John 4, verse 1, do not believe every spirit, but reject false teaching. And so herein lies the tension. We, we, today we live in a time when it's so easy to defend somebody, we are accused of being judgmental. So if we're not careful, the church becomes silent. We never speak out against sin or what is wrong because we don't want to come across as being judgmental or intolerant. And then what happens is because we are so easily offended, no one can teach us anything anymore. And so the old can no longer teach the young and the young can no longer teach the old. And it's kind of like this generational divide just keeps getting greater and greater and greater in the society in which we live. We are no longer living in an age where Christianity is the American way. And because of that, we adopt what is known as a biblical worldview. So when the Bible talks about how to live my life, I take my cue and my instruction from God's word. The secular worldview does not. The secular worldview says you are a God unto yourself. You make your own decision about what's right or wrong and don't let anybody judge you for what you're doing or your conduct. And so there's this class between a biblical worldview and a secular worldview. And if we begin to speak out against these things, the church is seen as judgmental or hateful or no longer relevant to today. This is the situation we're in, folks. But on the other hand, the church can become so judgmental of other people that they never acknowledge their own faults and their own struggles and their own shortcomings. And we can come off as being harsh, mean-spirited. And, and if we come across that way, the, church, the world says, I want no part of that. If that's the way a believer acts or thinks or talks and they're always judging, then I don't want to be any part of that church or that group or whatever the case may be. So what does the Bible say here? What is he saying in Matthew chapter seven? Well, first of all, you gotta understand his audience and the context of this scripture. This is a sermon on the mount. It's Matthew five, six, and seven. He will address in chapter six pretty heavily a group known as the Pharisees. 
He says the Pharisees, they love to pray in the street corners to be seen of men. They love to be praised by others. They love to feel superior to everybody else. They love to give their alms in public so everybody can see them digging out their wallet and dishing out the money. And they wait till a crowd comes around and then they take care of all the the poor people who are around them so they can be very self-righteous. And then he goes right into chapter seven and verse number one, hey, don't judge. Don't be like the Pharisees. Don't judge everybody as less than you or underneath you because I'm going to tell you God himself will be judging you if you do that. So, so we got to take it in context. He's talking to the Pharisees as much as anybody else. He's talking to this self-righteous kind of feeling that I look down on everybody else. And because I have arrived spiritually and I'm, and I'm God's favorite, God loves me more than you and you're less than me. That's the kind of judgment he's referring to in this thing. It's, it's harsh, negative, destructive judgment towards somebody else. It's against this backdrop that Jesus Christ says, do not judge. And the danger is, for especially if you've been around the church a long time, this pharisaical attitude can slip into your way of thinking as well. And we begin to look down on others and we think we're better than others and I've arrived and I've been saved for 30 years and I'm better than you and if you do something wrong, man, you're no good and how can you do that? And we look down on other people who don't look like us, who talk like us, don't walk like us and we judge them harshly and we've got to guard against that in the church today. On the other hand, we cannot misuse this verse to say I can never judge another brother in the body of Christ. Because God talks about that. In Proverbs 27, 17, he says, as iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. So if if we can never sharpen each other, if we can never disciple each other, if we can never get into one another's life and help each other grow, we can't hold somebody else accountable. We can't help them to grow in their process. We can't help them on their journey. And so we're to come along beside them. And there are some people who have specks in their eyes. And we need to, if we don't find that speck in their eye, it's going to get infected. They're going to lose their eyesight. And so we help them take that out so they can see clearly. But there's a proper procedure for doing this in the word of God. So we're going to talk about that. Two things that we're going to look at this morning. And uh, we, we need to talk about it in a way that those people who are, feel like they're being judged or those people in the church who are struggling with something in their life, that they feel safe in the church, that they feel like they can be helped, they can open up and share with somebody without this feeling of condemnation. But we also need to be, remind those who are maybe who have been saved longer, more spiritual, know, have served God longer, that, that when, they, when they judge anybody, it's out of a pure heart and pure motives. Two things. How do we do this? Jot this down on your outlines. Number one, first remove your own log. Get the log out of your own eye before you get involved in delicate surgery, removing specks out of somebody else's eye. Now, now Jesus Christ uses an incredible word picture. Logs, planks, specks. Little tiny specks of splinters or sawdust or something very, very tiny. Can you imagine going into the eye doctor's office and you've got to have laser surgery. And they're going to bring that machine in. They're going to clean up your eyeball and correct your vision. And they're going to do whatever they do. And they're going to put the laser on there. And you walk in and the PA or the nurse's assistant says, take a seat over here. There's a leather chair. I want you to sit back. And they give you one of these little frilly gowns. And the back's opened up. And you sit on that cold leather chair. And you lean back. And they got this big, bright light on your eyes. 
And the nurse says, hey, just stay right here for a few moments. The doctor will be in shortly and we will we'll conduct the laser surgery and you'll be fine. Can you imagine the door opening up and you glance over and the guy coming in has dark sunglasses and he has a seen eye dog, a German shepherd, and he's walking in and he's got a white cane with a red tip on it and he's going like this and he's got his dog over here and he says, I'll be with you in just a minute, sir. He's fumbling around trying to find the buttons for the laser thing. He's getting his tools out and he starts to do all that. Can you imagine sitting in that chair waiting for that? What would you do? You jump out of that chair and run out of the office and say, sir, I'm going to get another opinion. Uh, I, you know, don't say anything about it as a sight or a scene or anything like that. You'll be judgmental. But you run out of the room as fast as you can. That's the illustration Jesus is using. It's very humorous. It's very picturesque. How can we go about eye surgery? How can we help anybody else when I've got these huge logs blocking my own eyes? And he says very clearly, first, first, he doesn't say don't remove specks. He says before you enter into that kind of delicate operation, first, Get the log out of your own eye before you try to help somebody else. Very, very, very clear here. Listen, sometimes the thing we judge the most harshly in other people are usually things we struggle with ourselves. It's true. And what is happening is we are judging others vicariously through our own lens of our own sinfulness. And if I can judge you for something I'm doing, I can feel more self-righteous about my own life without going through the pain of repentance. And so we, we judge others and the thing we're the harshest on. I remember some, I won't call any names, but, but it was an evangelist. The man, he would preach so hard on adultery and sexual sin. And man, it, I mean, and it was just burning sermons and it was solid stuff. And then he is found later in a car with a prostitute. He loses ministry and everything else along the way. So the thing he preached the most hardest about and the harshest about was the very thing he was involved in himself. And, and we do that all the time. Romans 2 verse 1 puts it this way. You therefore have no excuse. You, do, you pass judgment on someone else. For whatever point you judge the other, you are condemning yourself because you who pass judgment, listen to what it says, do the same things. You are doing, you're guilty of the very same thing you're judging someone else of doing. This is when you do that, you draw judgment on yourself. The log in your own eye takes away your ability to function. You can't see where you're going. You can't see the problem clearly in somebody else. And you're no longer useful to the body of Christ. Why? Because you're walking around with this big plank in your eye. You can't see right. Everything's distorted and, and judgments are false and harsh. How can you, we can be quick to judge, how quick you are to judge someone else. Uh, let me see if I can illustrate it in a couple of ways for you. Maybe, maybe you hear a new believer and he, and he uses a filthy word. Now we know you shouldn't cuss, you shouldn't curse, you shouldn't say bad words. But man, we can judge them and jump on them because I've been raised in church all my life and that language was never spoken in my own house. And so you don't have an issue or problem with it, but you hear somebody else say a word and man, 
You're looking at them and you're saying, that's the worst sinner on the face of the earth. But what happens is they are sinning with their tongue by cursing, but then you walk out the door and you call somebody on the phone and you start gossiping about Sister Mary or Sally or whoever it may be, and you are sinning with your very own tongue in the very same way. He says in James 3, the tongue is a little member. It sets our whole body on fire, and so we'll judge someone else's speech in terms of their swearing or not, but we, we don't think a thing about gossiping. He said, don't you know when you're judging somebody else, you're doing the very same thing and you will stand under the judgment of Almighty God. People come into church and it doesn't happen here at Faith. It may used to in the days gone by. We're kind of casual here at Faith and some people love to come and they dress up. They look great when they come to church and that's their day. Other people tend to be a little more casual and their jeans and whatever they want to wear and we don't make a deal of it because we want people to come to church. We want people to just come and worship the Lord and we're just not into it. But there are some who may have been around a long time and they're looking around and they see a guy come in. He's all tattooed up and got an earring here and, and, his, and their, his hair is green or her hair is yellow or whatever color they paint that hair. And we look around and say, Whew. How come they come dressed like that? How come they come looking like that? What are they doing? And although already in our mind, we may not say it aloud, already in our mind, we are judging that person by their outward appearance. But you get so locked down and looking at others, you come in and can't even soften your heart to the spirit of the living God. And you come in and go out, and all you've done is spent the hour judging somebody else. Thank the Lord that we have a great culture of unity fellowship and oneness here and that that's not happening i pray and then how many divisions in the body would be stopped if we spent as much time on ourselves as we do judging others let me give you an illustration i got a man's in his house he's got his 14 year old daughter and she comes bouncing down the steps and she's going to go to the mall with her friends but when she comes down the steps, she's got a low top on and her skirt's all the way up to here. And the father takes one look at her and says, this is a Christian home. This is a Christian family. You're not leaving the house looking like that. Girl, you go up and change right now if you want to go to the mall. How can you go out looking like a tramp? She gets mad and angry and fusses up, but she wants to go with her friends, so she stomps up the steps, she changes her clothes, she comes back down, and she takes off with her girlfriends to the mall. The father goes into his room, no one's around the house, opens up his computer, and begins to indulge in pornography. You get the idea? And Jesus talks to the Pharisees and he talks to those who are listening. He says, be careful how you judge because you're doing those very same things and don't you know you'll come under the condemnation of God. And he says, if you're going to get involved in any kind of judgment whatsoever, get that log out of your eye. And that we don't see them sometimes because the log's there. We call them a blind spot. And we think we're all that wonderful, we're all that great, and we don't even realize it or recognize it. But we, there needs to come that time where we do a little self-examination and say, Holy Spirit, show me those things in my heart that ought not to be there. And someone else can speak into our life and they can help us with our issues and what we're dealing with. And then we can begin to help others. First, get the log out of your own eye. Michael Jackson, the late Michael Jackson, had a song, The Man in the Mirror. And uh, all about look at the man in the mirror first. 
But, you know, that's, that's not too far off from the word of God in some cases. And I think we need to look at ourselves before we're so quick to judge other people. He goes on in Romans 2 and verse 3 says, And so when you, a mere man, pass judgment on them and yet do the same things, do you think you will escape God's judgment? The order matters. Start with the log in your own eyes first. He said, first, first, get the log out of your eye. He didn't say you could never judge. He never, he never said you could deal with specks. He said, then you can remove the speck in someone else's eye. You can help them out along the way. Before you move into delicate eye surgery, ask ourselves the question, am I, am I, is the fruits of the Spirit evident in my life? Am I living and walking in the Spirit? When people see my life, can they see love and joy and patience and peace and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control? Are, are the fruits evident in my life? So follow and serve the Lord. Now there's a couple of extremes I want to give you very practical on log removal. And I want to caution you about this. And I want this to be as practical as possible. There's two extremes you can go to. One is too shallow self-examination. And so we glance at ourselves and we think we're pretty special and we think we're pretty good. And we fail to examine our heart honestly before the Holy Spirit, before God. Turn to James chapter 1. James addresses this. And he says in James chapter 1 and 22, look at this self-examine. How do we examine myself? How do I go about removing the log? You're going to do it through the word of God. The word of God will be your examiner. It says, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like a man who looks at his face in the mirror and after looking at himself, goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But the man who looks intently, everybody say intently, man who looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues to do this, not forgetting what he has heard, but in doing it, he will be blessed in what he does. And so we look into the law of God's word. We look at it intently. We look at ourselves. As I study God's word every day, I say, God, show me what I need to learn. Show me what I do. Show me how to live my life. Speak to me through your word. And then I just don't read the word. I apply it to my life and I live it out. So we need to look intently, not surface. But then the opposite extreme can also happen to that where you look at yourself so much and so often and this uh, perpetual self-examination becomes unhealthy and unbalanced. So that you become literally self-absorbed with your own life. And what happens is when that's your, your viewpoint, the enemy comes along, he sits on your shoulder, he is the accuser of the brethren, and he says, you're no good, you're no good. Look at all these problems you got. Look at what you're dealing with. Look at what you said the other day. Look at what you thought the other night. And the enemy's right there accusing you morning, noon, or night and telling you you're no good. That, I will tell you, is unhealthy because I am in Christ Jesus. I have been covered by his blood. The devil is a liar, and I stand in his righteousness. And so if there are those things that I do struggle with, I don't focus on myself because you can't save yourself anyway and you can't change your life anyway. You'll be like the Apostle Paul who says the good that I want to do, I can't do. And the things I don't want to do, I find myself doing. But what I do, I look unto Jesus, the author and finisher of my faith. I look unto him because that's where my help's going to come from. So watch this 
overly critical self-examination that puts you into depression because we, we get like the Apostle Paul at the end of chapter seven, oh, wretched man that I am. Who will deliver me from this law of sin and death? But then he goes on, but thanks be to the Lord Jesus Christ. And he is the one who can give us the victory over those things in our life. So there's got to be this healthy balance in log removal process. But Jesus Christ loves and he forgives and he restores and he sanctifies and he cleanses and his blood is powerful today. There's a second thing. He goes on to say, then, then you can remove the speck. And that's also in verse five as well. Previously, your vision was blocked by your own sins or by your own blind spots. And we saw everybody else through the lens of our own sinfulness. And so our judgment comes across as hard and harsh and mean-spirited and hateful. But when I give my heart over to God, when I allow him to deal with those things in my own life, then I can proceed to help a brother with the appropriate care and humility that's needed. Now let me give you a verse on this, it's Galatians 6.1. Brothers, if someone is caught in a sin, or to use the language of Matthew 7, if someone has a speck in their eye, if they're caught in sin, you who are spiritual, what does that mean? You who are walking in the spirit, you who have had the logs removed, you who are spiritual, restore him Gently, not harshly, not I'm better than you, not that I've arrived, but in humility, I wanna help you. I wanna pray with you. I wanna journey with you. I, I, I wanna help hold you accountable. I wanna speak into your life. I, I, I wanna serve as the body of Christ where we help one another in the family of God. I, I wanna do those things. And it will require judgment, but it's done in the right way. It's always done with love. The ability to help others comes when we have allowed God first to help us. And when he helps us, then out of that, I can give away and I can begin to help others. Revelation 12, verse 11, gives us the key to victory. He says, they overcame him by what? The blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. So our victory becomes our testimony. And when God gives me victory over the logs I have been dealing with in my own life, then I can use that to bring someone else into victory. And I can say to them, listen, I know what you're going through. I was been there, but God set me free. God helped me. God did this and this and this. And if he did it for me, he can do it for you. And then we begin to help one another in the family of God. And we iron, is sharp, iron begins sharpening iron. Rather than saying you're wrong, now we can say I've been there and you don't have to stay there. Mm. We are not just pointing out specs, but we become a part of the solution. He didn't say once you get the log out of your own eye, now you'll get to see all the specs real good. You get to point them all out. He says, no, then you can begin to remove the specs from someone else's eye. We can, we can be quick to identify and point out every problem, but unwilling to help them in their growth and in their healing. In fact, let me go so far to say this. If you're not willing to walk beside somebody and help them in their spiritual journey, and, and you see a speck, just look the other way. Don't mention it, don't say anything, don't do anything, because it's, it's worse 
to begin to judge them and gossip about them and put them down and think less of them in your mind than it is just to ignore it. But the, the real solution would be if you see a speck in someone else's eye and God's leading you to minister the life to them, then you walk with them and you journey with them and you help them remove the speck. That's according to God's word. Any judgment should be led, should lead to you helping a brother or sister move into victory, move into freedom, move into spiritual growth. And this is the way the Bible says we're members of the same family, and the older members in the faith should help the younger members, and we help each other grow, and iron sharpens iron, and I'm holding you accountable, and we're loving each other, and we're going through life together, and that's a good, healthy body. Listen to me, this is a great statement. We are called, we are to call them up, not call them out. We can get on Facebook and we can call people out and we can twit and tweet that and this and that and we can say all kinds of things about people on Instagram and we can expose each other and there's a lot of, if you get on social media, there's a lot of people exposing others and they just want to let everybody know what they know about somebody else and we can expose, but harsh judgment exposes, but godly judgment, godly speck removal elevates. Let's be a church that calls up one another to a greater love and a greater faith. And that's what it says in Hebrews. Spur one another on to love and to good works. And so there's some spurring that goes on in the body of Christ. But first, what do I do? Deal with the log. And then God can use me to help other people in their journey. And that's the healthy view of judging biblically. The guideline for speck removal. I gave you, I gave you a guideline, just a couple pointers on log removal. Let me give you three guidelines on speck removal because I want this to be practical. I want you to take it and say, okay, you tell me how to do, I should be helping with specs. How do I do that? Three things real quick. Number one, first get the log out of your own eye. And I've covered that fairly well. Number two, check out all the facts before you rush to judgment. I think what happens so often is we hear one side of the story and we jump on somebody and we rush to judgment and we make all these values and opinions about other people when it says in Proverbs 18, 13, he who answers before listening, that is his folly and that is his shame. I, uh, you know, in marriage counseling over the years, uh, you get uh, a, a lady who comes and she's crying and she's telling you her story and my husband's the meanest guy on the face of the earth and I just need to leave him and he's so cruel and you hear her story. And then you say, you talk to the husband. He says, my wife is a goof off and she's doing this and this and this. And pretty soon you don't know what to believe because there's always two sides of the story. And I think harsh judgment, what they do is they hear what they think might be facts and they begin to act on those and they look for the, they look for the evidence that backs up their premature conclusion. But the Bible says, if you don't hear the whole thing first, you'll be too quick to judge and that is your folly. So we gotta hear all the story first before we rush into judgment. A harsh judge forms opinion quickly and then goes on that first impression or the hearsay that's floating out there somewhere and then looks for evidence to confirm their opinions. Hmm. Number three, deal privately with the brother or sister. Go to them alone. When you see something, when, you, when the specs are there, you don't broadcast it, you don't talk about it, you don't say, hey, listen, I'm just gonna tell you one thing, just so you can pray. Just, uh, just 
No one knows this, but I'm telling you about John because John did this and this and this. And I'm just telling you so you can pray. How much gossip has been cloaked with this whole thing so we can pray just because you want to get it out? Boy, there's not a lot. There's nobody shouting me down. There's no amens out here. Nobody's standing up saying yes. It's like, ooh. Deal privately. Go to Matthew 18. Matthew 18, verse number 15. If your brother sins against you, go and show him his fault, the speck in his eye, just between you and the two of you. Go to him alone, mano y mano. If he listens to you, you have won over your brother. But if he will not listen, take two or three others along because it's now beginning to affect the body of Christ so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. And if he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, treat him as you would a pagan or a tax collector. Now, I I have a theory that I believe most church problems, most problems in the body of Christ would be all handled if we actually follow this order. And if we really went to the brother first alone, most things, if it's done with the right spirit and the right attitude and we're speaking the truth in love and they begin to see their fault, they can repent and restoration can take place and healing can take place and two wounded brothers can come back together again. But what happens is we jump steps and we go to number two and step number three and pretty soon we tell everybody we see and we defend ourselves and we talk about how bad this person is and it hurts and the body's divided. Go to them alone. Deal with it privately first. In any speck removal, it always is governed by Matthew 7 and verse 12. Now, I read seven verses 1 to 5 in my text. I want to give you verse 12, same chapter. Listen to it. It says there, so in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. And if we'll let that golden rule verse be our guiding thing, how would I want to be talked about? How would I want to be addressed? How would I want to be dealt with? How would I want somebody? And listen, if I got a speck in my eye or a log in my eye, I I want a brother to be open and honest enough to say, hey, I see this going on. I see this happening. I just come to you in love. And I I would appreciate that. And if it's done in the right spirit, right attitude, healing can occur and the body can grow and I can grow and I can begin to deal with those blind spots that I may not see. I will tell you some of our beliefs in the church, most of our beliefs in the church will come in stark contrast with the world. The world will always accuse us of being judgmental as a church. And, And anything we begin to speak out against, they'll say that's hate speech can't talk about that well they may say that about the church and they'll use that verse do not judge do not judge but we can't judge the world we're not called to judge the world so when a sinner sins it's not like ah this is what you did this is what you said this is what you acted that's all they know how to do because they're sinners they're lost they don't know Jesus so rather than judging those who are outside the church the bible says don't judge those who are outside the church i don't judge them i share jesus i love them i share the word and i share jesus christ and i pray for their salvation and then then they get saved and the lord deals with them but he says let judgment begin in the house of god and so there is a place for godly holy judgment done in the right way in the right spirit where we can iron sharpens iron and help each other 
grow. When a, when, we, when, when a brother, when we're dealing with brothers or sisters, let our judgment be in purity and in love and always in humility. Thanks for listening to the Faith Church Podcast. We are one church at five locations, streaming online every Sunday morning at live.faithishere.org. We hope that you're challenged and encouraged by today's message. And if you'd like to watch or listen to previous messages, or if you'd like to learn more about who we are as a church and how you can stay connected, head over to faithishere.org.